I am excited for today. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm going to put my expectation right at the beginning. I'm excited for today. I'm excited for what the Lord wants to share this morning with each one of us. Uh, we are in our second week of the series, Pray, Verb, Action, Do, not Discuss the topic of, but do pray. And this week, we are going to be talking about something very specific that you may have heard us address in church before, if you've been to a few of our services, and that is the altar. All right, we are talking about the altar this morning. And the altar here at Beaches Chapel, if you don't know, is right up here. All right, right over here in front of the stage, right over here in front of the stage, and even if you are so bold, right in front of these steps right here. All right, these sharp dangerous, slippery, God-forsaken steps that one day we're going to get rid of in Jesus' name. Um, but this is where our altar is at Beaches Chapel, right? And we invite people up, and, and maybe it's during worship, maybe it's after a sermon, but to respond to what God is doing. And I think what we confuse the altar with is a place of desperation, right? When things are going so bad in our life that the only thing left to possibly do is to come up front and kneel at the altar. To where we might even look at someone that's going up there and say, well, they got something going on, right? Like, they must be going through something rough because they're going up to the altar. And that's wrong. That is not what the altar is. It is not a last resort. The altar is a place of prayer and a place of devotion to the Lord, not desperation. Devotion, not desperation. So instead of it being a last resort, the altar truly should be our first resort, all right? When no matter what is going on, we made it into church, that in and of itself is enough for us to go to the altar, right? And for those of you watching at home or online, wherever you might be, that is your altar, all right? Because, the, because we don't approach God based on what things are going on in our life. If it's a good day or if it's a bad day, well, maybe I'll go to the altar then. We go to the altar because God. And he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. And so it's about our devotion to God. It's about our reverence to God. It's about what we sang earlier, all the glory, all the glory, Lord, to you. And we do that at the altar. And if you look in the Old Testament specifically, it is riddled, it is covered, it is filled with stories of the altar. And I encourage you that if this is a topic or a subject that you're interested in or don't know too much about, study it more on your own. All you have to do is Google the altar Old Testament, and there will be a ton of stories that come up in your search. But today, for time's sake, we are going to look at three. Three stories regarding the altar and what they mean in each story. And each one has a different meaning. Because the altar in it of itself is very vast, and it's very deep, and it is very good. We're going to look first in Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now the Lord had said to Abram, who will later become Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. 
So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountains east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Okay, so here's what's going on with Abram. He has been told by God to leave his family, which back then is unheard of. It's not something you did. This is unprecedented. You don't leave your family. You stay with your family. You continue the family business. You continue to grow the family. This is not something that was done. And so for Abram to do this is a huge deal. All right? I cannot overstate it. It is a huge deal what God is calling him to do. So in and of itself, just Abram leaving is a huge step of faith. All right? That's the first one in this story. But he does it because God told him to. What an interesting concept. And so he does. He goes. And this is the amazing part. He takes him to this land. And the whole reason God says to leave his family is, I'm going to go show you this land that is promised to you and your people that I am going to give to you. If you've ever heard the term promised land, this is where this comes from. Okay? And so God is telling him this. And Abram, in an amazing way, says, okay, I will go. Then he gets to the land. And probably in his head... Or in how I would be thinking, I'm going to see like rolling hills, maybe a waterfall off in the distance, right? Some sort of animals grazing, you know, out in this field. It's going to be beautiful and it's going to be all mine because I left my family for this land. But that's not what Abram finds. He gets there and there's Canaanites in the land. There's already people there. Well, God, this doesn't make sense. I left my land to get the land that you promised me, but it's already occupied with people. And not only that, but these people, they ain't trying to leave. Like, I'm not going to go knock on their door and be like, hey, God said this is mine now. Oh, cool. We're out of here. No problem. Sure. High five on the way out. That's not what is happening here. Abram sees the land. It's occupied. And his response is to build an altar. His response is to build an altar. He's seen the land. Even though it is occupied, he builds an altar. Why? Because the altar is a place of trust. The altar is a place that we go before the promise has been fulfilled. Not after. All right? He doesn't go, okay, God, that's really cool. I'll build you an altar after I've moved in. Because I just did something really big and left my family. So I'll build you that altar, and I'll praise you, and I'll thank you, but I want to see the promise fulfilled first. You know the problem with that? If he had waited, it would have been 400 years before he had built an altar to God. He says, no, I'm going to build right now because I trust in what you say. I trust, God, that you are not a liar, and if you promise this land to me and my people, it's going to happen. Canaanites are not. So, (laughs) yeah, we can hoot and holler, y'all. There's going to be an end of the sermon response, and I'm going to count all those people that are hooting and hollering right now. (laughs) So, what do we do? What do we do? Because guess what? There's promises for us in God's word too. 
that says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll protect us. He'll provide for us. He loves us. He died for us. And there's a place in heaven for us. Great God, I'll build the altar when I see it. But come Sunday morning, I'm just going to sit in my seat and I'm going to go about my day. We're not building an altar. We're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. Guys, we don't have to wait. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to wait. We know that it's true because God said so. And here's the other part of this story that's so amazing. I don't know if you heard it, but it's in there twice. The Lord appeared to him. Hello. Let me tell you this about the altar. It's where the Lord is. It is where the Lord is. I've been praying a lot this week for this morning. I've been praying a lot. And this does not happen every week, all right? Not to me, at least. But I got here this morning, I was, uh, which is my routine, and I was in here praying, and I was at the altar. And before I can even, could even get the first sentence out of my mouth, the Lord said, wait, I'm already here. I'm already here. You don't even have to ask. I was like, okay. You just made my job a lot easier. <clears throat> but he is at the altar. And if we want to meet with God, why don't we go to where he's at? Amen? And not wait for the fulfillment of the promise. He's not a liar. And if we wait, we're going to miss out. Abram didn't wait. If he had, he would have missed out. But in that moment, God's word was enough. And so he built an altar and he praised the Lord. It's a place of trust. It's where the Lord's at. The next story, a little context, if you don't know the story, is of uh, Noah. And God tells Noah to build this huge ark because he's going to flood the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. He's going to just wipe everything out, right? Start over, hit the reset button. And he's going to spare Noah and his family. And so all of a sudden, God speaks to Noah and tells him, it's time, the rain has stopped, you can get out of this boat. And this is in Genesis 8, starting in verse 15. It says, then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of, uh, of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. So here's Noah. He's been on this huge ark, right, for 40 days and 40 nights with his family, you know, his in-laws, these animals, that there's no, there's no plumbing, by the way, you know, on this boat. Things are starting to stink. They've been having the same food over and over, whatever it might be. And finally, he's able to get off this boat, right? I don't know about y'all, but if I just drive like two hours somewhere and I get out of the car, I'm not thinking, family, let's build an altar, right? <laughs> I'm like stretching, like, ah, get me out of this car with everybody, you know? 
40 days and 40 nights, I would have, if I was Noah, I would have just done a dead sprint away from everybody. Just leave me alone for like two hours. All right, I need my space. I need a stretch. I just need to get away from everybody. That's a long time with your family. All right, it's a long time with animals that you're doing God knows what in this boat. I mean, you just want to get out, right? The first thing, the first thing that Noah does when he gets out of the boat is build an altar to God. Because the altar is a place of thanksgiving. It's a place where we go to say thank you to the Lord. I think that's one thing that's, that's forgotten a lot, honestly. It's when we come up here, a lot of times we're, we're wanting something from the Lord. We want to hear him. We want to pray to him. We, rather than just saying, God, thank you. Thank you for who you are in my life. Thank you for saving me. And I'm going to make that my first response to you. I'm not going to worry about all the other things that I would like to be doing in this moment. I'm going to stop and I'm going to say thank you. And it is amazing. In our prayer life, when we begin our prayer time with prayers of thankfulness, how that transforms the list that we had going into our prayer time, right? Like you might have this thing, all these worries, all these concerns, all this stuff going on. And if you just say, you know what, God, wait. And I'm just going to say thank you for this, this, and then all of a sudden the list gets longer and longer. And all of a sudden that list that you brought into that had all those worries and concerns just starts to shrink. Because all of a sudden we're reminded of how good our God is. And that we don't need to wait for the fulfillment of the promise. Because we see promises already fulfilled in our own lives. And then that builds up confidence. That builds more trust. And it's all done at the altar. It's all done with a thankful heart to God. It's his first response. And this is what I love about this verse. It's not Noah's response, but it's God's response to Noah's response. In verse 21, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. So as Noah has built this altar and he's sacrificing these animals and he's thanking God for the miracle of saving his life when everything else is wiped out, it says that the aroma of that altar was soothing to God. Isn't that amazing to think that something can soothe God? Like, what does God need soothing from? He's fine all the time. Now, as I was kind of considering that, I, I thought about how you know, that one time as being a parent, my child actually genuinely said thank you to me for something, right? Like, whoa, like you, you got it? Like, like I, you know, provided you with something and rather than just snatching it and going about your day at 100 miles an hour and kind of forgetting about this whole deal, you stopped and considered that I gave that to you and you said thank you to me. Wow. As a parent, that's pretty awesome. Because it doesn't happen that often, right? And I think, you know, we're guilty of that. We're guilty of that. We pray and we ask and then God gives us that prayer and we snatch it up. And then we run and we go about our day and we forget to say thank you to the God who provided it for us. And we stop, look, God, thank you. Forget about everything else right now. I'm, I'm going to use what you gave me. And I'm excited to do it. But before all that, Thank you so much. Yeah, I think, that God, I think that makes God feel really good. I think it makes him feel incredible. We need to do that more often. 
I want to give an offering to God that is a soothing aroma to him. So the altar is a place of thankfulness and it's a place that is pleasing to the Lord. It soothed him. All right. My favorite altar story in the Bible comes out of 1 Kings chapter 18. What's happening here is there's a prophet named Elijah. One day we'll do a deep dive uh, series in Elijah. And he is, he's living in Israel and the queen Jezebel has kicked out God basically and replaced God with, with Baal. He's a God of rain and fertility. And Elijah's had it. He's, this is the paraphrasing of all paraphrasing what I'm doing right now. Um, but he's had it. And he is now uh, challenging these 850 false prophets of Baal to what I like to call a God off. All right. He is challenging them. We say, I'm going to check my God versus your gods. Okay. Lowercase g, by the way. So what we're going to do is we're going to meet on Mount Carmel. And you're going to build an altar. And I'm going to build an altar. And we're not going to light it. You're going to go first, and you are going to pray to your gods, lowercase g, and see if your gods light this altar on fire. And then I will go, and I'll see if God lights my altar on fire. And whichever god lights the altar on fire wins, okay? (laughs) By the way, he leaves out the part that he slaughters all of them later and wipes them all out, Uh, but that's for another day. (laughs) So... That's the context. And now they're on Mount Carmel. The prophets have been praying from sunup, and now it is noon as we pick it up in verse 27 of 1 Kings chapter 18. And so it was at noon that Elijah, who was the inventor of trash talk right here, mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. Praise God, we don't have to do that. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord That was broken down. You see, they had destroyed the altars of God. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with the water. So if you missed it, basically he built a moat around the altar. Right? He puts, he puts the, the pieces of the bull on the altar. And he says, all right, that's not enough. We're going to soak it with water. I don't want anyone to think there's any magic tricks going on here. And they dump four jugs of water on the altar three different times and it fills up this trench this moat so where there's literally water surrounding it okay and then it goes on in verse 36 and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that elijah the prophet came near and said lord god of abraham isaac and israel let it be known this day that you are god in israel and i am your servant and that i have done all these things at your word hear me O lord hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. 
Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. The altar of the Lord is power. The altar of the Lord is power. That is where the fire is. That is where the fire falls because there is power at the altar of the Lord. You notice that it says that Elijah built the altar in the name of the Lord. And that's important because what we see in this story, unlike the other ones, is that there's actually two altars. There's the altar to the Lord and there's the altar to everything else. And the truth is, we all build altars in our life. We either build an altar to the Lord or we build altars to everything else. And it's unique to each one of us. And the problem is we think that altar to everything else has power in it. And so we pray over it and we invest over it and we, we're so consumed with it and the fire never falls. And we wonder why. And God's saying, hey, I'm over here. Build my altar. Build the altar in the name of the Lord. And then you will see the fire fall on your life. But it doesn't come with success. It doesn't come with a new car. And it does not come from your spouse or your children. It comes from God and God alone. Let me tell you all something. If you try and make your spouse your altar, there is no power. There is no power in that. With your spouse, if you build an altar to the Lord, there is power in that. Let me also say that your children are not your altar. I've seen many marriages end because the husband and the wife made the children the altar and put everything into the children. And one day the children grow up, they move out, and they're gone, and the marriage is left with nothing. It's the altar of the Lord that builds the fire. People give their whole life to so their career, to success, to building all this stuff up. And they think that that's where the power is. And they're left empty and questioning what is going on. I've worked this hard building this altar of this job, of this identity that I have in this thing. And there's no fire in it. God's saying, that's because my altar's over here. Now, we go to the altar of the Lord and we put everything before him. And we can have those things wonderful children, a great marriage, a job that we love, but they never bring the fire. God brings the fire. So ask yourself, what is my altar? What is the altar in my life? What am I building? Because if we think it's anything else than God, we're no different than these idiots on Mount Carmel thinking that their God is going to light their altar doesn't work. There might be a spark, just like this, but it goes out quick. It certainly is not fire that licks up the water surrounding it. The Lord brings power at his altar, but he's not going to share his glory with anything else. It's his and it's his alone. What are we building in our lives? We need to be very, very careful and honest with ourselves. So there's all these examples in the Old Testament of the, of, of the altar, but there's, there's only one in the New Testament. There's only one that we need to be concerned with. 
Hebrews 13, starting in verse 10, says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The altar, the ultimate altar, is the cross. The altar in the Old Testament, they brought sacrifices, animals, and and things like that because they were desperate. They were desperate to be forgiven of their sins and make, make some, you know, de- not deal with the Lord, but, you know, be with the Lord in that way. And what went from desperation to devotion was Jesus on the cross. Well, we don't have to be desperate anymore, all right? He was the sacrifice. Think of, I mean, think about it. There was animals being used in the Old Testament. And now Jesus wasn't like an animal, Right? He was like a goat or a bird. I mean, it's crazy to think about it like that. But he, he, but he was that, and, but then so much more because he was the son of God. He was perfect. He was spotless. And he said, I will get on the altar. I'm not going to build the altar. I'm going to be nailed to it so that your desperation can go to devotion. So that this altar can be in a church. It's not something that you have to resurrect. It's wherever you go because I'm in you. And then you can come to me. And if you're, if you're struggling with something, if you are desperate, then come to the altar. If you're thankful, come to the altar. Just come. Just come. I've made a way. The veil is torn. I took the sacrifice. And now you can offer your sacrifice of praise all the time. Because there's power at the altar. Because the altar is the cross. And it does not end it doesn't stop so whatever condition we're in whether desperate or joyful or whatever it might be maybe you just feel like you haven't just touched god in a while i would ask you this have you come up because listen to what these words say in that verse again it excuse me it says therefore let us go forth to him let us go forth to him let it, we as we seek the one to come let us continually offer. We have to go. Remember, this, this series, Pray, is a verb. It is an action. It's not a listening to and then go home. We go to the Lord. We get up out of our seats and we approach Him. And we find Him at the altar. And I pray today that you'll hear Him. You're going to hear Him for yourself. We're going to have the band come back up. And we're going to close with a time for you to respond to this. I told you there would be a time. And I was talking to someone earlier this week about, you know, this sermon. And they said, you know, there's times when, when I know I feel called to go up to the altar. And I, and I always have this struggle of, you know, God, just, I, don't, I don't want to. I don't know what someone's going to think. Or I, I just don't, you know... Can I just stay in my seat? 
Sound familiar? But it said, every time I do, I go up there, and I'm so glad I did, because it's about obedience and submission, too. It's about saying, God, you're calling me up, I'm going to go, because you're God and I'm not. And so even though it might be uncomfortable for me, even though someone might think something of me, I'm going to go anyways. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to get up out of my seat because I am obedient to you and I love you and I want just that taste of you that badly where I'm not going to sit in my seat anymore. And I don't know if y'all have picked up on this, if you've been here for a while or even if this is just your first Sunday. One thing I love about this church, nobody cares at all. Nobody cares. Listen, when I, when I was leading worship before you know, I, I began preaching every Sunday, we had a, we had a day where our, our drummer um, had an emergency like 30 minutes before, he couldn't come. We had no time to get a drummer. So we just did worship without a drummer. And I asked a couple people after church, was it okay without a drummer? We didn't have a drummer? I'm like, that's our church. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Nobody cares. Nobody, and if they do, who cares? Right? I want to end with this verse. I want y'all to stand as I, as I read it. All of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. There is power. There is power. There is power at the altar. There is healing at the altar. There is trust. There is forgiveness. There is repentance. There is love. There is God's voice at the altar. And now is the time, church. We've been sitting in our seats for too long. I'm talking about this church. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about Beaches Chapel. We've been sitting in our seats for too long. It's time to get out of them and come forward. This is about you and the Lord. This is about, I was going to have the elders come up and pray for us, but we're not going to do that, actually. Because this is about you and the Lord this morning. And I want to challenge you. I heard the hooting and hollering earlier. What are you going to do? You need that taste. I, I heard a, a pastor this week who was preaching on prayer say, sometimes you just got to feel it, right? Sometimes you just got to feel it. That's okay. You just got to feel the Lord. Here it is worship, give you time, whatever you might be walking through, whatever you're going through. Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can approach you, your throne of grace, at any moment, at any moment, Lord. 
But that at your altar, Father, is so many things. Miracles, God. There is forgiveness. There are your promises. God, for those that are broken, that need you, be with them, Lord. Speak to us this morning. Thank you, Jesus.